Your faith has made you well. I always get a little nervous when Jesus says that. On the one hand, you can't exactly argue with it. Jesus says some version of those words on lots of occasions after someone has come to him in need, sick or isolated or otherwise in distress. He clearly means it as an affirmation, an assurance that the person's faith has played a role in their healing somehow. That sounds simple enough, right? Except it's not always so simple. I mean, how exactly does this faith and healing business work? What exactly does Jesus mean when he says, your faith has made you well? Does he mean healing is a reward for a really strong faith? Does he mean if you believe fervently enough and pray hard enough, you'll get precisely the thing you are most longing for? And by extension, does he mean that if you aren't healed, as you hoped, it's because your faith wasn't strong enough or wasn't right somehow? We can easily slide into that sort of thinking, imagining that if our prayers don't work out the way we want them to, then there must be something wrong with us or with our asking. It's understandable, but boy, is it bad theology. It imagines God as either incredibly petty, rewarding those who ask in the right way and punishing those who don't, or as someone we can manipulate with spiritual tricks of some kind. It ignores the countless faithful people over the centuries who haven't found exactly the outcome they wished for from their prayers. It heaps insecurity and guilt onto an already burdened soul asking for help. There's so much wrong with that way of thinking that it's hard to even know where to start. So when that phrase, your faith has made you well, pops up in the Gospels, I worry about how we might hear it, about what it might communicate. But our story from Luke's gospel today helps me immensely because I think it speaks of the healing power of faith in ways that go far beyond that simple cause and effect stuff we might think of. It invites us into a deeper understanding of both faith and healing. There is so much to cherish and to wonder about here. So Jesus is passing through a border region between Samaria and Galilee, Luke tells us. And the people he encounters there are, fittingly, people who are on the edge of things. A group of lepers call out to Jesus for healing. And you probably know that leprosy, which in the Bible signifies any one of a number of skin diseases, was a much feared condition in Jesus' day. There was limited understanding available about how leprosy worked and how it was spread. So in order to protect others, those with the condition were intentionally isolated. They were removed from their families, their livelihoods, their communities. Here we find this group of them in a sort of no man's land. And when they call out to Jesus, we can hear much wrapped up in their cry for mercy. A longing to be healed in their bodies, for sure, but also a longing to be reconnected with their communities, to leave behind this forced isolation that came with their illness. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they call out. And he does. Go and show yourselves to the priests, Jesus tells them. In Jewish customs of the time, the priests were the ones to determine whether somebody was, in fact, cured from leprosy and ready to rejoin community life once again. So Jesus is just telling them to act as though they have been healed, to follow the established pattern for reintegrating into society. Notice that he doesn't ask them any questions. 
He doesn't say, do you really, really believe I can do this for you? And he doesn't say, how hard have you been praying lately? And he doesn't say, can you recite the Nicene Creed by heart and prove that you have all the right answers? No. He has mercy on people in need, and he heals them. That's it. Full stop. We don't know why these particular ten people receive exactly the healing they wished for and not ten others. That's not a question I think Luke or the Bible ever really answers. What I think is clear is that healing isn't a reward for some particular belief or behavior. It's just what Jesus does, acting with mercy. The healing in this story is all done in just a couple of verses with no fanfare or flourish. As they're on their way to show themselves to the priests, doing what Jesus has just told them to do, the ten all find themselves made clean. We can, of course, imagine them being profoundly happy with this unexpected good fortune, with their deepest wish being granted on this very day. All ten are healed, and we can sort of imagine the story ending there. They all got what they wanted, right? They all lived happily ever after. What more is there to tell? Except that one of them, and a foreigner, a Samaritan, in fact, stops in his tracks, turns back, prostrates himself at Jesus' feet, and thanks him. All ten are healed, but this one alone hears Jesus say, your faith has made you well. So it seems something more has happened for him. Something more than just healing. And it seems to have something to do with gratitude. Somehow giving thanks to Jesus has truly made him well. You can't very well come to worship without encountering lots of thanksgiving language. It's all over the place in Christian prayer and liturgy. A little later in our service at the start of communion, we're going to follow this familiar exchange that faithful people have been using for centuries. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's right to give God thanks and praise, we'll say. And one common prayer that follows that exchange goes like this. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you. In all times and in all places, giving thanks to God is our duty and our joy. It is what we are meant to be about. And study after study today confirms that giving thanks is indeed part of being made well. You've probably heard this too. It is, in fact, good for you. Expressing gratitude has been correlated with improved mental and physical well-being time and again. So, okay, it's something that God says we should do and the doctors agree. But let's be honest, it's not always easy to be grateful. There are lots of challenging, discouraging, difficult situations out there today, in the wider world and in our own lives. So what if you are not feeling particularly thankful? What then? I've become an avid reader of Nick Cave's online newsletter. He's a musician and an artist who writes these beautiful and often really profound responses to questions that are submitted by his readers. And one recent question he found there said simply, I feel so uninspired. Inspiration. Can I have some of yours? And he responded, as I think many artists do, by saying that inspiration doesn't come by sitting around and waiting for it. It's not something that finds you or offers itself to you, he wrote. 
For me, inspiration comes only when I practice certain things regularly and rigorously. I must commit fully to the task in hand, sit down each day, pick up my pencil, and get to work. It is not exactly toiling down the coal mines, but it is labor enough, and I undertake it through the good times and the bad, through the dry periods and the periods of abundance, and I keep on going regardless of my successes or failures. Inspiration comes because I put in the work. It seems that gratitude works much the same way. We don't become grateful people by sitting around and waiting for good things to happen to us. We become grateful people by doing the work, by stopping in our tracks, paying attention to all that we have already been given and expressing our thanks. Not just feeling it in some way, but expressing it, turning to God in grateful praise. Of course, this feels more natural and easy at some times than others, that's for sure. But the witness of, faith, of faithful people through the ages tells us that it is always possible to give thanks for something. Always. Near the start of the 17th century, a pastor by the name of Martin Rinkhart arrived in the city of Eilenburg in Saxony. This is in what's now Eastern Germany. He came to serve a church there near the beginning of the Thirty Years' War, that conflict that claimed millions of lives in Central Europe. And he found himself in this unimaginably grim situation. Eilenburg was a walled city, so it was a place of some safety. And as the war escalated, it became a place of refuge for political and military figures who were fleeing. And it was somewhere where they could go and be safe. Rinkhart himself frequently welcomed refugees into his own home. The city soon became overcrowded because of this quality, and soon it was being attacked by armies, and when that wasn't happening, it was in danger of being overrun by famine or disease. And during one particularly severe plague in 1637, Rinkhart was the only surviving pastor in the city. Records show that he performed more than 4,000 funerals himself that one year, including his wife's. It's the sort of situation where you can imagine very well seeing absolutely nothing to be grateful for, nothing one could think of to give thanks. But in the midst of that very time, Rinkhart wrote what has become one of the most well-known hymns of gratitude. Now thank we all our God. Many of you will know that hymn. I have to imagine he was able to write those words, urging his community to remember the wondrous things that God had done, the countless gifts of love given to them, not because that was easy or natural to do in that moment, but because he was practiced in paying attention and in giving thanks, because he did the work, because he knew that gratitude makes us well in the deepest sense, even in the midst of all sorts of worries and hardships. Waiting to be grateful until you are perfectly happy is like waiting to take vitamins until you are perfectly healthy. It gets the equation backwards. Giving thanks to God is our duty. It's something we are meant to do, and it is also our joy, something that makes life immeasurably better. The story in our gospel today reminds us of this fact. The ten find their skin healed, but one finds something more. Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. That's how the King James Version of the Bible translates that last verse. 
the one who comes back and gives thanks finds himself made whole, made deeply well by giving thanks to God. That wholeness is there for all of us, friends, because no matter what, we can give thanks for God's grace in our lives, for the gift of this day, for the love that holds us now and always. No matter what, we can offer our gratitude to God. It is our duty and our joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.